0: All right, let's go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 8 tonight, Matthew chapter number 8, and we'll continue our exposition through the book of Matthew, and we'll be looking tonight at verses 18 through 22, and uh, we'll consider the subject this evening, Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. I want to just draw our attention to verse 22, and we'll take that for our uh, subject As we begin, it says, But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Uh, this is one of those expressions in Scripture that often people mistake for Jesus being very harsh, uh, being very uncaring, and to some extent even declare him as being unkind. And I would suggest as we look at these verses tonight, Jesus is uh, not doing any of those things at all. But he certainly is drawing our attention to a very important principle when it comes to following him and following his call. In verses 18 through 22, there are two men being presented to us. Uh, there are two men one is described as a scribe and the other one is uh, described as a disciple so we have two men being presented in these verses now in the account in luke chapter number nine luke gives three individuals, and we'll be making reference to Luke chapter nine as we're looking at this text as well. Uh, All three of these men, taking the men that are in Matthew and Matthew eight, and then Luke chapter number nine, uh, were claiming to be prepared to become followers or disciples of Christ. Uh, But each one of them has something that is either holding them back or preventing them from following through with the Lord's call of follow me. Now, the Lord gives various replies back to each one of them. Uh, he gives a response to each one. And uh, what happens in this text is we tend to have a view of which one he's going to accept and the, other, the one that he's going to reject. And it really is quite surprising uh, when you actually look at it. Uh, at first glance, uh, it almost seems strange uh, that the Lord sends back one who offers to follow immediately without delay. Oftentimes we would say, well, the person who is ready to go, the person who's ready to follow the Lord, certainly that's the one the Lord is going to say, okay, go ahead and follow me. But he really doesn't allow that individual to follow him Uh, at that moment. Uh, The other one we'll see uh, is uh, asked to have a brief time period in order to go deal uh, with an issue that he is having. But there really is two reasons for either one of these and why what happens to them. Uh, There's a great readiness in the first man that we'll look at. He's ready to go, he's ready to accompany Christ. But really the problem with the first person we'll see is is that he did not consider the cost. And we'll see that this man, maybe his mind and his heart was not in the right place as to why he was willing to follow. So there are a couple of great lessons we're going to learn here. And one of those primary lessons, I think, comes from the principle we find in Matthew 16, 24, which is talking about denying ourselves and taking up his cross. If you look with me there at Matthew eight and look at verse eighteen, it says, When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, we see that and we think, Well, here's a man who's willing, here's a man who's ready, here's a man who seems like he's ready to give up all, ready to pack up, ready to go. But notice that Jesus' response isn't, okay, follow me. He says, And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, That that interaction with this particular man who is described as a scribe seemingly just comes to a halt. It comes to an end. Jesus doesn't say, okay, I accept that. Go ahead and get your stuff together. Let's go ahead and go, and you follow me. But rather, he turns to another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. These are really uh, two completely different responses to two different people. Now, we understand that when Jesus is, was moving at this point, he was being thronged by great multitudes of people. That's what verse 18 tells us. He was surrounded by people. Mostly those people were, were coming to see this Jesus who's been performing these miracles. He's been performing these healings. Jesus had become somewhat of a novelty. He had become somewhat, and I hate to use this term, he had almost become celebrity by what the rumors and what the words had gone, that he was performing miracles. People wanted to see what this Jesus would do. So, of course, in that multitude, there were the people who were just there to see. But then within that crowd, there were people that were needed to be healed. There were people like the leper, there were people like the centurion servant we've learned over the last few weeks. And there were some, no doubt, who were there for the right reasons. They were there to even hear the gospel being preached. They were, they were, there was a desire to be with them and with Jesus. But I think for the most part, if we were honest, most who followed Jesus were not there for the right reasons. They weren't there because they believed in his his being the Messiah or he was the Savior. Uh, They more believed in him and wanted to see what they could do to impress or help themselves. But you'll notice there that when Jesus saw this great multitude, he gives a commandment to depart on the other side. Uh, Many commentators have suggested that there are various reasons why Jesus at this time did this. One of those being is that there are times in scripture where Jesus just departs the crowd to get away to a place of quiet, to get a place of rest. And that appears Uh, that that maybe was the intent oftentimes he went around to uh, went left privately to get into a time of private prayer Uh, but he was often found avoiding uh, these crowds that maybe were there for the wrong reasons. We know Jesus in his humanity he would have become wearied with the day, he would have become hungry, he would have become thirsty, he would have experienced that weariness uh, that any of us would have experienced. But there's also times when Jesus departed and he took some of his disciples with him where he would use that as an opportunity to try their faith. He would use that as a time to say, okay, I've got my disciples on a ship. I've got them in the middle of the sea. I'm going to ordain a storm to come up and I'm going to try their faith. Now, we're not told other than the fact that he departs unto the other side. And it's when he gets to the other side that we are introduced to this man who is called the scribe. The Bible is is very peculiar when it uses this. It says, and a certain scribe. Uh, now, we don't know with a certainty who this scribe was, but I want you to remember, scribes were, were accustomed to a very... Um, how do I say, a very easy, peaceable life. These, these were not people who went from place to place stirring up trouble. They were not, they were not uh, seditious. They didn't try to cause trouble. Uh, they were people who, who were looked upon as having a very easy, quiet, relaxed life. They enjoyed some honor because of what they did. They were also, though, we might use in our modern-day vernacular, they were a bit soft. They were uh, were ill-equipped to handle a reproach. They were ill-equipped to handle um, persecution. Uh, They were not people that uh, would endure great pain um, for a cause. So we see the scribe willingly say, I will follow you. And notice the scribe even uses the word master. Now, oftentimes we say if a person is, we we sometimes falsely think, if a person says, uh, I will, master, I'll follow you, that Jesus will just automatically say, okay, sure, follow me. But Jesus knows the heart. And he knows there's something about this scribe and his motive for following is what leads Jesus to give the response to him as he did. Oftentimes we think to follow Christ is just as simple as saying, Lord, here am I, send me. And the Lord just responds by saying, okay, they're willing. So certainly they must be equip, equipped for the fight. Well, this teaches us right here that Jesus is saying just because a person is willing, just because a person demonstrates that they might have some... Uh, real desire to follow doesn't mean that they're following for the right motives. And it doesn't mean that the Lord just automatically accepts. Maybe he does indeed truly want to follow Christ, but maybe he thinks by the following of Christ that it is going to lead to an easy, peaceable life where he's just simply going to uh, to, to, to have this, this, this life of ease, this life of, of comfort, But yet Jesus was warning his disciples that in order to follow me, you've got to be prepared to endure hardship. You're going to have to be prepared to endure uh, persecutions. Later he would tell his disciples, you're going to even have to maybe walk through death to follow me. Following Jesus Christ is never an easy road simply saying lord i'm willing doesn't mean that the master responds by saying oh sure you can follow he's teaching this scribe you're not you don't really know what you're following it's not just as simple as following me with this easy agreeable life oftentimes the more eager a person is the less prepared and equipped they are to follow the lord there are times when we're very eager to do something for God. And, and there, are, there have been times in, in, in our past, I'm sure, where uh, we've almost been put in a place saying, look, with the emotional press saying, just give your heart to God and say, I'll follow you anywhere. And a lot of times that emotional press is, ne- is without true understanding of what that's going to mean. Because following the Lord is not going to be an easy road. Now, we'll look at the account in Luke because Luke gives a little bit more insight as to what Jesus was actually asking these men to do. Again, Matthew doesn't say specifically, he just says, Follow me. And then we see the response. The scribe seems to be ready to follow Jesus as long as the road is easy, as long as there's no obstacles, as long as there's no trouble. Everybody would follow Jesus if the road was that easy, but yet it isn't that easy. now remember a scribe was a very educated learned man these were not uh, these were not um, stupid people they were very highly educated in the law they studied the law, they expounded upon the law they had a great understanding but oftentimes those individuals um, they were often connected with the pharisees although not exactly the same the pharisees of course were no doubt an enemy of christ but notice how quickly he says i will follow there's a sense of eagerness there's a sense of determination there's a sense of i dare you to stop me he almost says there's nothing that i won't do to follow you. And yet Jesus' answer to him seems to be answering back to him saying, you really don't know what you're agreeing to do. Because that's when Jesus immediately says, foxes have holes. It's not the typical response you would think. Jesus is not interacting with him and having a conversation, but let me ask you three, three questions about your willingness to follow me. He seems to turn the conversation into this reality that says, uh, Mr. Scribe, do you, you realize what this means? This, this drama that's playing out before us, this easy life, uh, certainly is not what is there. Uh, oftentimes, and maybe we've been guilty of this in our own life, we have resolved or we've made vows to follow the Lord, only to find out that we really didn't consider the matter strongly enough. In that heat of that moment, that emotion, we say, Jesus, I'd follow you anywhere. And then the first hardship comes up and we run, we flee. And then we, we do it again and we say, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. So there really is a lesson here that's happening within this, this, this eagerness on this man's part. Uh, the Lord is seeing something, he's seeing through, he's seeing through what this man is really about Now, there really is no reason for us to wonder why would Christ turn away such a person. Because I think the Lord understood, and of course the Lord understands, the heart of man. And there are people out there that want a place in the family of God. They want a place in the heavenly kingdom, but they don't want to take up the cross. They don't want to take up the cross and follow. They just want the benefits of being part of the family of God. They want to live at the table of Christ and yet have a life of ease. They want to have the blessings and the benefits of being in the family of God, but I don't want any affliction. I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trials. But Jesus is teaching by even this basic concept that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He declares right there, this is contrary to what you think it is. Does everybody see that? You, this is contrary. You, you think it's a life of ease as a scribe, and yet what you're agreeing to do is completely opposite of that. And then notice, as he tells, as Jesus says this, Jesus says, and he even acknowledges, he says, but the Son of Man. Uh, Jesus is describing himself by these words and he's describing the condition that he lived in while on this earth. But not only is he telling the scribe what to expect, but folks, he's telling his disciples and he's telling his followers, here's the type of life you should expect. Don't expect a life of ease and don't expect a life of no trouble and affliction. If you're truly gonna follow me, you have to know this is not gonna be an easy road. It would be a a false statement for us to say, look, come and follow Jesus and your life and your road is going to be easy. If we're truly following Christ in the way that he's called us to follow him, it's not going to be a life of ease. It's going to be a life of difficulty. Jesus himself says, I have no place to lay my head. Now, Jesus, when he was here in the world, we know he took on... The things of the world. He experienced poverty. He he experienced hunger. He didn't have a house to put his own head on a pillow. Uh, The scribes resolved to say, look, I'm going to follow you seem to be so rash and so sudden that Jesus is saying you need to take account of what you're absolutely agreeing to do. You need to consider and count the cost. Folks, listen, the way of God is never a simple road. The way of truth is never going to be a simple uh, path. But yet Jesus is dealing with this man by describing exactly what he's going to endure. This is not only a warning to the scribe, but this is a warning to everybody and anyone who says, I will follow you, and I'll follow you wherever you tell me to go. Now, even the Apostle Peter had moments when he said, Lord, I'll die for you, I'll follow you. And he wasn't ready for that at that point. You know, it wasn't really until after Jesus went to the cross and the resurrection that Peter absolutely started living up and counted the cost as to what being a disciple of Christ was really going to be. And that I don't think the Peter, before Christ goes to the cross, would have ever allowed himself, as history and tradition says, to be martyred on a cross and then to ask to be martyred upside down because he wasn't worthy to die in the same manner in which his Lord died. Something happened to Peter. Peter learned what it really meant to follow Christ. This scribe has no idea what following Christ really means. So we learn a great lesson from the scribe. In verse 21, we're introduced to the second. Now, notice this man is identified as another of his disciples. Uh, we're not told in this text who this disciple is. We're not told if it was one of the 12. We're not told it's one of the 70. We're not told. It's just as another disciple. There were people who are called disciples who we see scripturally turned back and turned away. They were offended by the hard sayings of Christ. So the disciple doesn't necessarily mean that this is one who was fully a follower. But I do want you to notice how Jesus deals with this man. Another of his disciples said unto him, "'Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father.'" This disciple says, "'Lord, simply permit or allow me to go first before I follow you and to bury my father.'" Now, it's very clear that Jesus really turned away the scribe. I mean, by telling the scribe, listen, you don't really know what you're doing. He doesn't say, get away from me. But there's no indication that that scribe was ever allowed to follow Christ. But he does deal with this person a little bit different. The person who seems to have an opposite fault here, he was prevented from immediately obeying the call of Christ by the weakness of thinking he was going to endure a great hardship by having to leave his father. Now, we see expressions like this, that I must go and bury my father. Most commentators agree that he wasn't talking about the father was already dead. He was indicating that the father was on the verge of death and he wanted to delay his following Christ until his father had passed on. This was, there's, there is, uh, he was implying to the Lord, uh, my father has a very, very short time to live. But he doesn't refuse the calling. He doesn't say, Lord, I can't follow you at all. I won't follow you at all. But he does say, permit me or suffer me, as the King James says, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, if you'll turn over to the account in Luke, I want you to see how he, Luke kind of fills in a gap here that Matthew doesn't talk about. And this happens in a a couple of different places. So in in Luke chapter 9, in verse number 58, it says, and he said to another. Now, Luke doesn't identify that as another disciple. Matthew said it's a disciple. Follow me. Now, you'll notice that it's that's the, that's the first thing that Jesus says. Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. Now, here's where Jesus fills in a gap that Matthew didn't talk about. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now... In Luke's account, Luke gives the indication of what Jesus was actually calling these people to do, to preach the kingdom of God. Matthew says that this individual doesn't refuse. He just says, I just need a little bit of time to go and bury my father. Now, when Jesus responds by saying, let the dead bury their dead, he was not saying that He was condemning this man's desire to go and bury his father. That was a reasonable request, yet Jesus is still suggesting that's not the right answer. In other words, Jesus is not saying, this this is foolishness for you to even consider that you need to bury your father first. But what he is, he is not giving him an excuse and he's not saying, okay, that's a reason to not follow me. What this man was doing is he was looking upon himself and thinking, I have the liberty to not follow Christ until my father dies. Now, it's very interesting the way that Jesus handles this and the way he talks to him first. Because when he, what Jesus is telling him is, the preference should be to me first. Now, again, Jesus is not being unkind. And he's not trying to be in the sense where we're saying he has no compassion. But what he is telling us is he's telling us that the very cost to follow me, it's going to require you to even put aside your earthly relationships and put me first. From Christ's reply, we learn that yes, yes, those children and the 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 children of their parents that they should deal and they should take care of their parents and they but when god calls them they should lay aside that and give first place to the call of god whatever we owe to mankind whatever we owe to other people should always take second place to what god is asking us to do immediately that's why you have to consider what God requires from his disciples and from his followers. We read scripture like that and we read things about count the cost. Take up, my, take up your cross and follow me. But do we really know what that means? We're talking about giving up all to follow Christ. And Jesus is teaching here even the claims that our earthly parents have on us and we to them does not supersede the claim that God Himself has on us. Jesus says unto him, follow me, let the dead bury their dead. Again, Luke's account, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God of God. Allow the dead to bury their dead. By these words, Christ is not condemning the burial. It would have been a shameful thing, especially in a Jewish community. It would have been shameful and a cruel demonstration to throw away the bodies of someone who died unburied because we know that even scripturally, the whole idea of burying someone, even in the custom of the day, was That was practiced in order to strengthen the hope of the resurrection. The reason that the bodies were taken and being buried was to strengthen the reality that one day those graves are going to open up. Burial was given as an object lesson to show us what Jesus had said about the graves opening one day and the dead in Christ shall rise. But what Jesus intended to show is the principle here that whatever causes us to withdraw from the path of making God first in our life is to be avoided if God is calling us. We are to devote our entire life. We're to devote our thoughts. Every part of our life ought to be submitted to the obedience of God. I'm telling you right now, there are things God's going to ask you to do that's going to require you to give up the comforts and things of this world and it's going to be a difficult thing. God's going to ask you at times to maybe sacrifice and and leave family in order to follow Him. He's going to ask you to do things that seem almost unkind. How could you pull me away from my father who I need to bury right now? It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because Jesus doesn't have compassion. And that's why Luke indicates, go and preach the kingdom of God. He's showing the priority of the things of God even to the relationships in this world. Now, every one of us is humans. Now, we, uh, some people say I'm not a people person. Some people say they are a people person. We all need and desire relationships. Whether we need a lot of relationships or just a few, we all need some sort of relationship. And the greatest, the greatest principle that following Christ is going to require us to sacrifice is the understanding that it may even require the sacrifice of those cherished human relationships. I'm convinced, and I I can't give you a number, but I'm convinced there have been people throughout the centuries and throughout even the last hundred years who will not follow Christ because they have to sacrifice a human relationship. They might have to leave their families that they've grown up around. They may find themselves across the world somewhere where they may never see their family again. And there's a lot of heartstring pulls on this, folks. There's a lot of things that could start happening to where the pull becomes so strong that we say, well, God would not want me to do something and wouldn't want me to take my family away from everything they've ever known. He might just do that. He might ask you to give it all up and he say to follow me. Again, it's very interesting how these, this cost of discipleship, this what it's going to cost. Now, again, in Luke 9:60, when Jesus tells that same man, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Matthew only said the words, follow me. But Luke states this more fully. The reason why this man was being called. This man, this other disciple, was specifically being called to be a preacher of the gospel. He was specifically being called to go and preach the kingdom of God. This call was not going to allow that man to stay home and even take care of his father. It was going to require him to move away and be taken away from his own father. Now that's quite a cost that's a cost to consider is jesus being unkind no he's not being unkind but he's showing how important and how vital that this call to the gospel is now remember this man this other disciple also don't lose sight of the goodness of god in this don't lose sight of the goodness of christ if, if you'll look over that account in Luke chapter 9, we're also introduced to that third individual. Matthew doesn't talk about this third one, but Luke does mention it. And if you'll look at this, uh, and another, it says in verse 61, also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Now again, here's another heartstring human relationship moment. You've got one disciple that says, I need to bury my father. You have another disciple that says, okay, Lord, I'll follow you, but I need to go home and tell my family goodbye. Then look what Jesus says. Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew doesn't mention that third person, but Luke does. It appears that this man was too strongly attached to the world to be ready and prepared to follow Christ. Notice he says, let me first go and bid them farewell. True, this third man offers to join the family of christ he says i want to go and do this but i have this one condition i have this one reservation i have to bid farewell to those who are in my house soon as he could take care of the business at home then he's ready to go on that journey now human reason says is that really that unreasonable of a request Is it unreasonable for the man to go back and bury his father? Is it unreasonable for the man to go back and bid farewell? It's very similar to uh, Elisha in the Old Testament when Elijah called him. Elisha's response to Elijah was, let me kiss my father and my mother. And it was allowed to him. That's an example of where Elijah did allow Elisha to go and do that. What is being taught here is it's not the fact that we're not supposed to have these human relationships. It's not that we're not supposed to have love and concern and care for them. But it is that the ministry of the gospel is to be preferential above all else. And there's an urgency in which Jesus was sending these men to follow him. It's the urgency of the gospel. In this particular case, Jesus' response, he's saying... In this case, it's not allowable for you to go back and tell your family goodbye. It's the urgency. Again, if we didn't know the Lord, we would begin to think Jesus is very, he's very hard-hearted. Doesn't he know and doesn't he understand how sad this would be? Again, remember, our human relationships, our human attachments in this life as glorious as they can be, they, could, they can hinder us from doing what we're called to do. Now notice, again, this seems harsh, but Jesus says in Luke 9, 60, verse 62, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We've got to be very careful about understanding what this expression of Christ means. What he's talking about is he's saying it is those who are said to look back are those who are so entangled and so involved in the cares of this world that it would allow them to be withdrawn from even the path of Christ. It's to be so attached to the things of this world, to the negation of the kingdom of God being the most important thing. There are things in this world that would prevent a person from following Christ fully. It is the illustration of a man who is walking through a field and he's plowing and as he's plowing, he's looking ahead. And as, as the plow, the old plows that they're talking about are not the modern machinery that we have now, but as the plow's going through, he's planting, he's plowing to be able to plant that seed. And the, the last thing that plower wants to do is turn around and look behind. He wants to be sure that what he's going straight, wants to make sure that the seed where it's going to be planted is going to be correct. And he's, it, Jesus is giving the example of saying, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you cannot keep looking back and wanting to go back to the life that is entangled by this world. There's this idea of Christianity now that says, I can look back and have the world's entanglements and I can still follow the gospel of Christ fully. And I would suggest to you, is that really possible? Is it possible for us to look back and have our hands entangled in everything in this world and say, but yes, Lord, I will follow you fully? All three of these men had something about them that was hindering them. The scribe was just too rash, didn't consider the cost. The second disciple was entangled even with the human relationship with the father. And the third one, of course, he had the same similar uh, characteristics of being too entangled and too attached to the world. Humanly speaking, we ask the question, what's so wrong with a man wanting to say goodbye to friends and family? Because sometimes we fail to think that somehow a call to Christ is something to be treated as something less. Folks, that's where I don't think we fully understand. If we're not careful, we will consider following Christ something that is not exciting and something that is not something to rejoice in as if God made me give up my family in order to follow Him, as if it's something bad. And yet the highest calling is for Jesus Christ to call a man to go and preach the Gospel or to serve Him. Oftentimes we would say, well, following Christ means... I'm never going to see my family again, or I'm never gonna be comfortable again. I'm never gonna have comfort anyway because you're pulling me away from everything that I've ever known. Have we stopped to think about what glory is found in following Christ completely? I don't claim to know everything about what these men would have been thinking, but I will tell you from personal experience, these are things that I have experienced in my own life where there were times when God has asked us to do things that were very, very tough and pulling us away from human relationships. And those human relationships and everything that you knew and say, Lord, I'll follow you, but this sure doesn't feel comfortable. It sure doesn't feel like I'm doing, I mean, and even to the point where you might even humanly say, uh, am I doing the right thing? Because then you're going to have the pull of family saying, well, how could you leave us? How could you leave your family? We understand that all of these men in some way, shape, or form seem to have worldly concerns that were more important to their heart than the concern of following Christ fully. I like what Matthew Henry said about this, about this third man in particular, he said this, this third man was willing, and I never thought about this perspective, this third man was willing to enter into a temptation from his purpose of following Christ. And I thought, what's the temptation? To go and bid them farewell at home would be to expose himself to the strongest solicitations imaginable to alter his resolution. For they would all be against it and would beg and pray that he would not leave them. Those that resolve to walk with their maker and follow their redeemer must resolve that they will not so much as parley with their tempter or to even put the temptation in front of them. I, I think about when Paul was ready to leave Ephesus. And everybody, as he was getting ready to leave, they came streaming out and begged Paul not to leave. The way that Matthew Henry puts that by saying that that man, by going and bidding farewell, was actually putting himself in a place of temptation to where the family might say and convince him to alter his course. So we see here that One of the scribes was too quick in promising something that he did not really consider. He promised to be a follower of Christ without fully understanding. He seemed to be resolved in his decision. But we do know this, many times and many resolutions for Christ produce nothing more than a sudden conviction, but without consideration being properly given, they will eventually come to nothing. In other words, we resolve quickly, I'll follow Christ, but after a few weeks, a few months, a few years, we go back. There was no real solid resolution. When the scribe offered to follow Christ, we would have thought that he would have been encouraged, that the scribe would do more. But Christ really saw that man's heart. His resolve seemed to be more from a covetous principle of a life of ease. But when Jesus told that man, I have no place to lay my head, I have no place to, 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 to live, then you, scribe, you shouldn't expect any more than what I receive. The man who asked to attend to his father said, let me tend to my father, then I'll be at your service. It seemed reasonable, but in the eyes of Christ, it wasn't right. He didn't really have a true zeal for the work of God. Burying the dead, taking care of the Father was a good work, but not at that moment. The key is what Luke said about the kingdom of God. It was the urgency in which Jesus was calling. If Christ requires our service, even our affection for our nearest and dearest relatives cannot be allowed to alter the call of Christ. That's a tough principle to swallow. It really is a tough principle to swallow. I've seen people go to the extreme on that too. So we have got to be aware of that. But when we compare all these people together, understand and remember, it is a great privilege to be called by God. It's a great privilege to be called to salvation. It's a great privilege to be called to follow Him. But there's always a cost. The cost of discipleship is great. The cost of Jesus saying, follow me, is a great cost. And I think the lesson for us to learn tonight is to consider it. Consider what it will actually cost to be a follower of Christ.